0: ...by any one of these apostles, but some add details. Now, I don't think that changes my comments from the other evening about Mary Magdalene and the affection she may have had for Christ. Because John, who was the disciple who had the most love of all of them, that's all his gospel is about... Uh, That's all his last three Gospels are about, is love. And he even says several times that he was the one that Christ loved above all others. So he was a very thoughtful person of other people. And he didn't mention anyone coming but Mary Magdalene. Now with his uh love and thoughtfulness and and uh what's i I'm, I'm searching for a word here, and I can't quite find it. Uh, he may have had her interest in mind when he told it the way he told it, because she was the principal one there, so he knew or was perceptive whether they'd been stated or not, if she had that kind of feelings for him, he had perceived it because he perceived people's needs, their wants. He was a very thoughtful person that way, very discerning, I'm sure, if he had that kind of care and affection for people. And Christ saw that in him as the reason that they were so close, is because those were qualities that John just simply had as a human being. The Matthew mentions uh, the two Marys right right off the get-go. And the angel talked to the women. (laughs) Fear fear not you, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. So he adds detail there. Uh, John didn't mention that the angel spoke to the women, uh but Matthew fills that part in. So they're not contradicting, they're just each telling the story from their own perspective in their way, and you add all the details together and you get the complete picture. And he said, "Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goes before you into Galilee." There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. So that's all the angel had to say. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! Uh, And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then he said to them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. So they did see him, uh, as John had said, and then sent them on to tell others. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came to the city and showed to the chief priests all the things that were done. They found their words. As they got further from there, I guess the terror began to go away. And uh, they had to go tell him, look, there was an earthquake and there was an angel and we couldn't do a thing and he's gone. <clears throat> and when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money to the soldiers, saying, Say you, his disciples, came by night and stole him away while we slept. So they concocted a story did you ever hear anybody in Washington, D.C. do something like this? They'll tell you some kind of a story about what happened that isn't at all what happened at all. Uh, they didn't want the truth to be known that it, there was a, a quake and an angel. They just wanted them to think that they snuck in at night while they were asleep. <clears throat> didn't want anybody to know that he had actually been resurrected. That's the point. That they had stolen him away and hid him somewhere, maybe. Reminds me of that movie, A Weekend at Bernie's, where they drug this body from place to place all weekend so they couldn't, so they could go ahead and have their party and their nice weekend. They thought that's what these disciples were doing, is dragging Christ around uh, to find a hidey hole for him. Uh, He hadn't been resurrected at all. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and told the story they had been told to say. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So, yeah, there have always been payoffs in politics. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. He went off into the mountains fairly regularly to pray and to get away from the the multitudes so he could have some solitude. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. He doesn't say that much about it here. Uh, It's got more detail about the doubting in some of the other uh, accounts. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Now, John didn't mention this, but he said it before them, probably very uh, strongly. I have all power in heaven and earth. Now, these are his parting words to them. And he wanted them to know that he could give them everything they needed to do the job that they had to do. I have all power. Go you therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them. And then here we have a bad translation. In the name of the Son. In the name of Jesus. Every other place it mentions that. This makes it sound like the Holy Ghost is a person, but it's not. It's just the Spirit of the Father and the Son. So, teach the nations, teach people, and baptize them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So here he even states, that he will be with them till the end. Well, they all died in that generation. It is those that they ordained and those that God has raised up since that he is using up until the end of the world. So this is a prophecy that goes clear on down to the end, just as Matthew 24, four chapters back, says it will, and he says it at this point as well. So that is a commission that was given, and that is the primary commission that Herbert Armstrong fulfilled. He didn't go on and do Matthew 24 and finish the job of preaching to all nations. The end hasn't come, and he died over 30 years ago. So that was not his job, but he was to continue in this job that Christ laid before those disciples. They were not going to preach the gospel to the end of the world either, were they? They died a long time before Herbert Armstrong did. So they did some of this. um, And then Herbert Armstrong did some of this. Now the job has to be finished up until the end of the world. Now let's go to the end of Mark. We need to see ourselves in these scriptures and what God says has to be done. <clears throat> Chapter 16 here, well, I, he adds some uh, details about Christ's death that we didn't get in John either. Uh, he mentions in verse 38 of 15, "...the veil of the temple was written in twain from the top to the bottom." And some details like that that we need to understand, of course, uh, and that is what made it possible for us to go to the Father. Nobody could pray to the Father until this happened. And now, because of Christ's sacrifice and His forgiveness of our sins as our mediator and our high priest, now through His name we can go in. Before this, only the high priest could only go in once a year. And after this, it was cut in half. You could go right straight to the Father. There was nothing blocking. So that's an important point. And there, there's others in here, but I don't have time to go through the last three or four chapters of every book at this point. Anyway, when the, chapter 16, when the Sabbath was passed... Uh, Here it says it's past, must have been dawn uh, when some of this happened. Of course, it happened from dark through the beginning of dawn and then um, until dawn because the Sabbath ended at dawn. You have to put it all together. And maybe it was pretty much past, but the other accounts show that it wasn't quite over. But if it was 23 hours and 30 minutes over, uh, then you could say it was the end of the Sabbath. See, whether it was technically the sun had come up or not, it was still, uh, the the Sabbath was basically passed. So I don't think there's a conflict there. Anyway, Mary Magdalene and Mary the brother of James and Salome, mentions three here, had uh, bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, They came to the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. So this says right at sunrise. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? It was a lot bigger than they were. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. So the angel isn't mentioned. The earthquake isn't mentioned. It just mentions that prior to them coming at the rising of the sun... It had already been opened. Because <coughs> they were probably talking about this as they approached. You know, we we realize there's a big stone rolled there. What are we gonna do? We want to anoint his body, but we can't get the door open. So they entered the sepulchre and they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were afraid. So the angel was at this point sitting inside. The the keepers of the watch had departed to go tell the story and be paid off. And the angel had gone in and sat down. And he said to them, Don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. Essentially the same thing Matthew said. He is not here. And this is where they would laid him. But go tell the disciples... Uh, and Peter, that he goes before you into Galilee, there shall you see him as he said to you. And they went out quickly and fled, uh, for they trembled and were amazed. It had been left open. There was an angel inside. And they were upset. Uh, not not maybe upset in an angry or frustrated way. That way, they were excited and a little bit afraid. Uh, you've not encountered an angel Face to face. And, uh, it's scary, according to every account in Scripture. So, they ran trembling and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. (laughs) They had their mouths stopped, in that sense, by the angel. Uh, they didn't say hello, goodbye, how are you, or anything else. They were, they were getting out of there. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. So it's a little different account here. This sounds like John's account where Mary came by herself earlier, and then these women came in behind. It mentions the three, Mary Magdalene, Mary, uh, Mother of James, and Salome. But there may have been uh, two different arrivals there, the way this sounds. So she went and told them she had been with him. Because John said that she visited with him there, and he said, Don't touch me, I'm not ascended to the Father. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. They'd been there, they'd seen the angel, they saw the sepulcher was empty. She says, I talked to him, and they didn't quite get this. You know, people don't come back from the dead, don't you know that? It just doesn't happen. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the residue Neither believed they them. So they'd had the first witness with Mary Magdalene. Then he appeared to two of them, and they ran and told the others, and they still didn't believe it. That's kind of like when Peter was let out of prison. Nobody believed it, you know. Yeah, Peter ain't here. He's in prison. Well, don't you know we're praying for Peter? Well, maybe your prayer was answered. Oh, no, he's in jail. Whatever. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at dinner and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So, he got after the doubters. He didn't put it, didn't explain it quite as in detail as John had, but he did get after them. And he said to them, Now these are to be his representatives to go to the world. And they're not believing all these things. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. Now, from other scriptures, we understand that uh, there's a first, second, and even third resurrection and that most people are not going to hear. Uh, here in the end, when the gospel is preached around the whole world, Hardly anybody will believe it. So, it isn't too hard to understand then that these people were having trouble believing it too. Because it's going to be made very, very clear to these people at the end who Christ is and what he's done and there's going to be plagues and all kinds of things and fire coming out of the mouth of the the two preachers and they're still not going to switch from the beast and the false prophet because they give them digital money every month so that they can pay their bills and live, have food to eat. All depended entirely on Mama, the beast, the false prophet. We can't do that. We can't accept that money. We have to follow Christ and let Him take care of us. won't need money. He says we'll have wine and milk without money chapter 55 of Isaiah. Anyway, uh, ultimately, those who believe will be saved, and ultimately, in whatever time they have their chance, uh, if they deny, they'll be damned when the plan is completed. And these signs shall follow them that believed. Matthew didn't say this, but uh, Mark does. In my name shall I cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now these things were pretty well done, even in that era. You remember Paul picked up a the snake there on the island that bit him, and nothing happened. He just flung it in the fire, and everybody expected to see him swell up and die, and he didn't do it. So that one was fulfilled right there with Paul. Uh, drinking any deadly thing, I don't remember a case of that uh, with these men. I did have a guy that had been turned out of prison having murdered somebody up in Fort Pierce, Florida it was, who offered my wife and I a... Uh, well, he, first he told us very dramatically how he was a murderer and he was the worst... Kind of sinner and, and then he offered us some apple juice, so we drank it, and it didn't hurt us. I don't know whether it's poisoned or not. How would I know? <laughs> maybe he did poison it maybe he was he was certainly making the point that he was a murderer before he offered us juice, and he knew this scripture, so it' was a test of some kind, and it may have been a kind of a sarcastic joke on his part, for all I know. I don't know what his motives were, but I wasn't going to turn down his apple juice. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That happened a lot in the early New Testament church. Uh, And it will happen again at the end. We've read all those end time prophecies about God going to do all the kinds of healing he's done. You know, we forget about those things sometimes. Some of them have happened right here already. Some of them happened when I was a child, I remember. We'd call Pasadena for an anointed cloth because there were no local ministers around, and people would get healed. My brothers, my sisters, me. People got healed. First person I laid hands on after I was ordained, my little niece. Hadn't been potty for... Probably two weeks. I don't remember the exact time. But she was very, very ill and totally constipated. And I was just traveling through on my way to my assignment in Florida. My aunt says, Debbie hasn't pooped in however long it had been. It had been an inordinately long time, whatever it was. So she says, would you anoint her? And that was my first anointing, and I'm 22 years old, and my eyes get big, and I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> me? Um, but I anointed her, and about 15 minutes later, look out the window, and she's running around playing. I don't know how many times she filled the potty, but uh, she would, it had done. I see a guy here that I've seen raised up twice, once from... Uh, a bacteria that was going to kill him, and the doctor told me, I says, Doc, is he going to go? He says, yeah, we're emptying his lungs one last time, and uh, they're going to fill right back up, and he'll die. So I says, should I go ahead and call the morgue? He says, yeah, this is done. The doctor went out, and I thought, well, I'm going to anoint him one more time, and his lungs didn't fill up, and shortly thereafter, he was let out of the hospital. He's virtually dead. And then he had a major heart attack over here, and somehow got through it, diabetes and all. I saw those things happen. I've seen Shirley nearly bleed to death a few times. I mean, come close to it. Blood everywhere. And after she was anointed, the bleeding stopped. These things have happened right here. There may have been one little girl over here resurrected. Cameron, Crider. She was about that long and her mother was holding her. I was working somewhere over here and here come all the Criter kids just screaming, there's something wrong with the baby, something wrong with the baby. So I ran over there. Robin was holding the baby and it had turned as blue as Dorothy's shirt almost, blue as owls, hadn't been breathing for quite a while. It turned blue already. Grabbed some oil out of the kitchen, started praying, and she started breathing. The color came back. She was as good as dead. I don't know whether you say technically she was dead. She wasn't declared. But she's as close to death as you can get without dying. And she started breathing immediately and it was fine ever since. Do we go through life and forget these things because they happened a year or two or five or ten or forty ago? And then we think, well, God's not answering. Well, He's answered more than we may realize. And He's going to answer a whole lot more in the future. So, Let's understand that. God is still on His throne, and He's taking care of us, whether we fully realize it or not. Anyway, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, he was he was with them, guiding them, leading them, filling them with His Spirit, working things out, and confirming the Word with signs following. So, it wasn't anything they were doing, but the signs followed them, that Christ was there and working with them. All right, let's go to the end of Luke. Chapter 24, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. A little up above it mentions verse 54, The day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. That was the Jews' Passover. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after, and beheld the sepulcher, and how his body was laid. They returned and prepared spices and ointments, and rested the Sabbath according to the commandment. And then they went out very early in the morning, Sunday morning. So that was the weekly Sabbath that they were keeping. The day of preparation uh, was the Jewish thing, but the weekly Sabbath they kept. So then the, very early the next morning, uh, they didn't go at Never mind, the thought went through my mind, it didn't didn't hatch. They found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. They only mention one in Luke, and here it mentions two. It mentioned two in Matthew uh, that the guard saw. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? (laughs) That's an interesting way of putting it that wasn't said that way before. Uh, Christ is alive. Why are you here in the sepulcher looking for him? He wouldn't stay here with dead people. He's alive. He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was yet in Galilee. He told you he was going to rise But they didn't believe it. And then when it happened, they still didn't believe it. (coughs) He told you, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day, rise again. And oh, now I remember. And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things to the apostles. So there was actually quite a crowd of women. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. So even the disciples that lived with him for three and a half years, and had been told many times, I'm going to rise again, didn't believe him. People don't come back from the dead. You know, come on. Yeah, I remember something. He said something about that. That can't be. They didn't believe it. We're going to find out when we get to John. They decide they're going to go fishing. He's dead. We're going fishing. Uh, Anyway, seemed like idle words. Then rose Peter, and ran to the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Now here it isn't mentioned that John ran with him, and John got there first, and didn't go in, but Peter went on in. So that detail is left out here. But Peter was the main mover in that particular part of the story. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So they're discussing it, trying to figure it all out. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were held that they should not know him. So he could be there, and they wouldn't know it. Whether they could see him but didn't know who he was, or whether he was there but not visible isn't quite clear, I guess. But their eyes were held so that they didn't know him. And he said to them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? What what are you talking about? Why are you sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said to him, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem, and have not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. You haven't heard of this? And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. They didn't believe that he was resurrected. We thought he was the one that was going to come and save Israel. And he had said very clearly on more than one occasion, I'm not here to set up the kingdom of God. But they thought that he was going to save the nation then. They didn't grasp a death, a resurrection, in a long period of time, about 2,000 years, uh, before these things would fully come to pass. So our hopes are dashed. That's why we're sad. It didn't work out the way we thought it would. Well, we look at Scriptures today and we figure out how this might happen, how that might happen. And it doesn't always out work out the way we thought it might. Uh, it'll all work out in God's way, but sometimes He has ways of doing things that we never think of because He's smarter than we are. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. Uh, No, they saw the angels, not a vision. But that's the way these guys interpreted all this, because they knew he couldn't be alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but they didn't see him. (coughs) Then he said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Fools and slow of heart. The prophets had said all these things. Jesus had told them about them. But they were fools. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe the Son of God. We read all those prophecies. I hope we believe them, because they all have to do with right now, these next few years. Are we fools and slow of heart? Or can we speed up our heart and get into it and believe that all the things he said he's going to do, he's going to do? Or do we have the same problem these people had? To one degree or another, yes. Yes. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Shouldn't he have done it said it in Psalm 22 and 23 and Isaiah 53 and all these places? Shouldn't it have happened? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here he tells us that all those prophecies back there, That seem to have reference to the things that we read about in these four books were about him, and they did happen. And there are more in those prophecies that are still there that have not yet happened, right? Did the great and terrible day of the Lord come? Did uh, all flesh get preached to? Uh, Has the earth turned, the sky turned to blackness? Have all those things happened? No. Have people been blessed in ways that those scriptures say will happen here at the end time? No. Well, what about the ones where he said he's going to tear the church all apart and put us through all kinds of grief? Ah, those have happened, haven't they? So, they're for today. So are the good things. They're going to happen too. So don't be sad. They're coming. And they drew near to the village where he went, or where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. Uh, But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and broke and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished. Interesting. He'd found them. He'd called them fools. He'd showed them all these scriptures about himself, and they still didn't know him or believe him. And then at dinner, their eyes were opened, and they, oh, it's you. And he disappeared, just like that. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together, and then that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. (laughs) They're going to report, Hey, he is alive. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be to you. So now he appeared to both groups as they had merged together. But they were terrified and scared and suppose they had seen a spirit. They're still having trouble grasping Christ being in a somewhat glorified state, and in actually being alive. Is he going to appear to us in some ways here at the end? He did to Paul, he did to these fellows, and he says he's going to come and dwell with us, tarry with us, be with us. He may show himself some, I don't know, we'll find out, won't we? And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do these thoughts arise in your hearts? Why don't you just believe? Here are my hands, here's my feet. It's me. Handle me. See, for a spirit is not flesh and bones as you see me. So he was still appearing physical, but somewhat glorified, I think. His face wasn't shining as the sun, or they'd have been wiped out. So he certainly wasn't in full glory. And when he had thus spoken he showed them his hands and feet, and while they were yet while they yet believed not for joy, and wondered, he said to them, Do you have any food? So they're still trying to get it figured out in their own minds. This is this was tough to accept. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he ate before them, and he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So he, by his spirit, still, after all that had transpired that day, had to open their mind to understand what he had been teaching them. You cannot understand truth unless God opens the mind. John six forty four. No man can come except the Spirit of the Father draw him. You, as an individual, would not have knowledge of God and his purpose and his plan and the truth that you have if he had not individually opened your mind. It isn't by accident that you were here. He opened your mind. Yours. He has a personal interest in you. And he opened your mind. And said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooves Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day. I don't want to let that thought get away. He has a specific interest in you as an individual. And we need to respect and be thankful for that, and have faith and confidence in that. That he is—he wouldn't have opened our mind if he wasn't going to work with us. If he did not intend to work salvation in us, he wouldn't have opened our mind. He believes you can make it. There are days you don't believe it. But he knows how much mercy he has How much love he has, how much grace and favor he has, and he knows what his sacrifice and his blood being spilled can do. He understands it, having done it better than we do. But you wouldn't be here tonight if he hadn't opened your mind and showed you these things. So take confidence and pleasure, humbly and meekly, in that He opened the minds of some mighty and noble people. No, wait a minute, some weak and base people and brought them here. Us. And He can show His glory through us and confound the wise. That's His intent. So he rose the third day, and the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So here he says preached in his name, not in his and the Father's and the Holy Ghost. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in Jerusalem till you have the Spirit endued from on high. That that happened on Pentecost. And he led them out as far as to Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted uh, from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So the sadness, the confusion, the frustration disappeared. And they returned understanding and with great joy. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So it did have its effect. Now let's go finish this up quickly in, uh, in John 21, which is where we had come to last night anyway. But I wanted to throw in uh, other thoughts from those other Gospels. Chapter 21 of John. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples... At the Sea of Tiberias, where was that? I wonder. What's the Sea of Tiberias? There's no seas around Jerusalem in the Middle East. But there used to be inland seas all over uh, Nevada, Utah, and so on. <coughs> Can't believe that bulb survived that. Well the lamp didn't. <laughs> Well, let's see if we can cobble it together and have it stand here where I can read. Peace be still. Uh, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and, and two others of his disciples. So they were there after Christ had disappeared. And here's the leader, Peter. Here's the leader. He said, I'm going fishing. (laughs) They've been instructed to do all these things. And then he says, well, he's gone. I'm going fishing. Well, that's what he'd always done. That's what he was familiar with. That's what he thought. I guess I'll go back to that. That doesn't mean I don't think that we should never go catch a fish. But that was his commercial job. That's how he made his living was catching fish. So he more or less wiped his hands of everything that had happened, said, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll go with you. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. They didn't wait around. They made up their mind, we're going fishing. And that night they caught nothing. Grace is going to teach them some lessons here. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore... But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. So they'd fished all night long. They were tired by now. Commercial fishing and pulling nets in and out is tough work. I've done a little of it. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they said, No. It's like people walk up to you and you're standing there and you've been fishing for several hours. Having any luck? No. (laughs) No. That's where they were. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you'll find. So, nothing else has worked. I guess this guy says do this, we'll just throw it over there. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fish. One side of the boat, nothing. All night long. And here's this, non-fishermen standing on the bank telling them how to fish. And they threw the net on the other side and suddenly it was full. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, the guy that wrote this book, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, or that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat to him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. I don't know what all they wore back then, uh, whether he had his hands on or what, but he, he was basically naked, and he had a fisherman's coat, but maybe they were working so hard, and it was a summer, well, it had been the springtime, might have been warm enough with them working that uh, he got hot and took his fisherman's coat off. Don't know exactly what happened there. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, about two hundred yards. No, it'd be less than that. A cubit's about eighteen inches, so a hundred yards. Dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire on, of coals there, and fish laid there on, and bread. So they'd fished all night, hadn't caught a fish. They come to shore and here's a fire that had burned down, and it had fish and bread on it. Something, had they come on the shore, they would have had nothing to eat after fishing all night. <coughs> Jesus said to them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. And drag them up there. Uh, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, Big fish, 153. They caught just like that. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Normally 153 fish would break the net. Jesus said to them, Come and eat. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. I don't know whether they had been told go preach the gospel and they were caught fishing instead and might have been a little ashamed, who knows, that they dared not ask, knowing who it was. Like Adam and Eve, is that you, Lord? (laughs) And they knew what they had done. I don't know whether they realized it at that point or not. Jesus then comes and takes bread and gives them and fish likewise. This is now the third time... That Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. No other, nobody else gives this account, this detail. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? More than what? The people that were standing around that he was fishing with? No. He had had him pull the fish up there, And they counted them. So now he looks at the fish and says, Do you love me more than you do these fish? The men were not in question. It was his occupation that was in question. I've taught you for three and a half years. I've told you to go preach. Now do you love me more than fishing or not? Ooh. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Don't go fishing. Feed my lambs. And he didn't think that uh, Peter had gotten it. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, Do you love me? He says to him, Oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my sheep. Put your boat away and your net away and feed my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? I wonder if he thought about the three times he had denied him before the The rooster crowed. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. It says lambs the first two times. And all the church was new and had just been converted. So it was basically lambs he was going to at first. But as they grew... Uh, into maturity, then they were sheep, not lambs anymore, and they needed fed too. Do you think Christ thought he needed a ministry? Emphasize it three times. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you would. But when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird you and carry you where you would not. You're not going to want to go where they're going to take you. This spoke he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. He would be crucified upside down, apparently. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, now follow me. Well, where was Christ going? He was going to build his church. And as he built his church, he wanted Peter following him, not fishing. Then Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at the Passover supper, And said, Lord, which is he that betrays you? They told him to ask which it was, and it turned out to be Judas. So he's rehearsing this. Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? He says, they're going to carry me off and kill me? Well, what about John? Am I going to go die by myself, or is this man going to die too? Jesus said to him, If I will, that he tarry till I come back. What is that to you? I'll do as I please. It's none of your business what I do with John. Follow me. I'm giving you a commission. You follow me. <clears throat> Feed my sheep three times and follow me twice. Now, he told him in Matthew 16 that he was going to give him power and he'd better make decisions according to what the book says. And made him the head of the church. So here was the guy that was supposed to be the leader of the church going fishing. And Christ didn't uh, agree with that. So in front of the eleven, he's working here to to straighten Peter out. On his commission. Now before in those other Gospels, we just read that he'd given a commission. But John included that Peter led them away from that commission and Christ had to come and straighten him out and straighten them out. So they would actually do what he wanted them to do. Have you ever read scriptures through the Bible about people who hesitated, or made excuses when God told him to do something, like Moses, uh, like Jonah. Uh, there are other examples. Better do what God says. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not to him, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what business is it of yours? Now, he wasn't going to live that long. He died about 100 A.D. in his 90s. And Christ didn't say he was not going to die. He just says, it's none of your business what I do with John. Peter, here's what's going to happen to you. I want you to get the point. You're here to feed my sheep. You're here to follow me in building the church. And you're going to die to glorify my name. So he laid it out for Peter. This is your commission. So get with it. No matter what I do with John. This is the the disciple which testified of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there were also many other things which Jesus did... (coughs) Under which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose, that even the world could not contain the books that should be written, so be it. So you get a little more complete picture that way, uh, examining all four accounts of what occurred there. So, that's it for tonight. See you tomorrow at 1.